up on the uh, outline. Once again, I don't know what the page, page is, but it's uh, point C, page 8. Thank you. We just finished looking at that well-known rapture passage. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I think it'll help on the next one. The more I thought about it, it helps if I just keep in mind what he's talking about. You know, uh, that, that sounds simple, but a lot of times you get distracted and uh, trying to solve other points. But notice, after he had that part about the rapture, that main point there is that everybody's going at the same time. The dead going to be raised first, but then all caught up together and answering that. And notice the perspective in verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. So that's what is the basic issue. And then in verse 18, after he says that, he says, wherefore, comfort one another. I would say encourage one another is what that word is. I mean, either one of them works. But encourage one another with these words. Then in chapter 5, after he goes through this explanation, then uh, verse 11, wherefore, encourage or comfort one another and edify one another, just as you're doing. So both of these are comforting thoughts. Now, I, I don't know. Uh, I thought everybody in the, in the United States was a Christian, pretty much. I mean, you know, unless they were definitely in some other. Uh, and I remember when I was riding somewhere, we were changed the station, and I, I'm a kid in the back seat, and somebody said something to affect it. The Jews had instead of Christians or something, and that's the first time, but don't you mean Jews aren't Christians? I thought everybody in the Western world, so to speak, was a Christian, and, I, and so I was pretty ignorant, and I tried a couple of times in school to read the Bible, and you know, you'd open up and get in the middle of so-and-so begat so-and-so, and, and uh, I, I wasn't getting much of anywhere, and I tried that a couple of times, and then sat aside, but once you accepted the Lord, then it's clear. Get a few helps along the way, and it starts making sense. But I, I never heard anything like the Lord uh, coming and taking us Christians up together uh, with Him. What we call a rapture. Never heard anything like that. And people, they're big push on now, saying Israel never did think that they were going to be saved by works. Well, I'm, I think I'm safer sticking with Jesus Christ and Paul than with some of these theologians. But I look at that and I think, how could they, just on a logical level, not think they're going to be saved by works and the whole system they have when a lot of Christians, quote, in the United States, most of the people I knew that believed in God 
just thought one of these days going to stand before the Lord and see if you've got enough good works to get you over the line. And it's like some of the people I knew, well, I'm not bad enough. And I remember I wondered that as hadn't been in the Marine Corps that long and I was wandering around and I thought, I know some people are better than I am as far as I can tell. I know some people are worse than I am. I don't know where they're going. I don't know where I'm going. It turned out my sister was praying for me. But, but it, it, all that's just to say, this idea of a rapture, I don't know anybody. I've never heard anybody that even heard about such a thing like that. And uh, I'd say that's where most of the people are. Maybe Tim LaHaye books have popularized it. But it's quite a, quite a thing. And so we have the assurance that we're all going at the same time. That's the schedule ahead for Christians. And if we're living when the Lord comes, we're just going to be changed. And assuming that I might not get there, if I do, I might spend a little more time on it. But one of the points I was going to make later on is in 2 Corinthians 5, a lot of, I take that a little differently than some people do. I don't mean I take it in a strange way. I think what Paul's saying there is he wants to go be with the Lord, but if he has his druthers, he'd rather be raptured than die to get there. You know, because sometimes they're the early church and sometimes you run into people like that. It's almost like they're looking to get burned at the stake or something. Well, there was one time when that was considered to be a real positive uh, a thing that would earn you big rewards and and so on, but I think Paul's realistic. We'd like to be just changed in this body and go straight to be with the Lord. But of course, most of the church has missed out on that so far. Well, we come down here to chapter five, and when Paul says concerning the times and the seasons and the periods of time, brethren. He's talking about historical events that are coming. Not just talking about uh, some long-range scheme out in eternity or something. Prophetical time and events. It's like concerning some kind of a prophecy timeline. You don't have a need that I write to you. Well, what, what does that mean? I think he explains it. Because you know accurately... He even says, you yourselves know accurately that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. He says, this is the reason I don't need to tell you anything because the day of the Lord's going to come. I don't need to tell you anything regarding the schedule because the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. And it's clear what he means by that when he continues. He says, when they're saying peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon him just as a woman having labor pains. And they're not going to at all escape. They'll no way escape. So he's just saying it's going to catch the world by surprise. They're going to be thinking things are going the other way, and all of a sudden, here this is. Since it's coming by surprise, then it's just like the Lord said over in the Gospels. We don't know the times or the seasons, as he said in Acts 1 and over there, no man knows that day. We don't know. So he's saying, in effect, it's not that you don't have a need to write to you, but you already know this, that there's, 
We can't sit down and put that right on a uh, calendar and say it's going to happen such and such a time. I don't know whether you hear uh, the, this man camping is down in our area, the uh, May 21st. I haven't listened to him because I've given up on that, but my wife uh, remembers things better than I do, so she remembers May the 21st. But I remember this isn't the first time. And there, there are people have lost their uh, theological reputation, uh, some well-known preachers, because uh, remember, I remember, I was saved long after this, but there was a well-known man out in the West Coast who's known for prophecy and everything, and then he began preaching during the war that Hitler was the Antichrist and Mussolini the false prophet or something to that effect, and then when the war was over, it didn't look like that was the way it was working out, and uh, they didn't pay any attention to him. Looks like culture's changed now because camping comes up with these things periodically and he still has a big following. Uh, but that's cost a lot of people trying to set the schedule. And so that's why he's saying it's not that there's no reason for you to be interested in this kind of thing. Not that you don't have a need for this because it won't help your spiritual life. It's you don't have a need for it because you already know that when this big event's coming, the, the big one in history, uh, we don't know. It's coming by surprise. So if we keep in mind, talking about these historical events and it will help us once again. Now, he continues and he says, but you brothers are not in darkness that that day overtake you as a thief. The issue there when I'm looking at that is, is he saying you're not going to be caught by surprise? It's not going to catch you like a thief? Or is he possibly saying you're not going to be caught at all? Well, I think I'm going to try and put this together, but I think what he's really saying there is you're not going to be overtaken like a thief. It comes like a thief, and that means you're not going to be overtaken at all in this. Because your son's... The reason is because you're sons of day and sons of the light. Now keep that in mind, that that's the reason why you're not going to be overtaken. It's not because you're not watching, or because you are watching, because he's going to say, watching or not, you're still going. You're all sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore then, let us not sleep. You see that word? Now in English, if it says sleep, then that's a good translation here, but you can't tell the difference between that and the one in 4.13. That says sleep also, but that's a different word. This word up here in 4.13, about a third of the time it's used, it's used for dead people sleeping that way. Used for people who are sleeping, <laughs> and used for people that just aren't thinking right, or something like that. This word down here is is only used a small number of times anyway. In the, for instance, in the Greek Old Testament, about thirty times I think it is. There's only two of them that can be taken as as to die. It's almost always whether you're sleeping in the sense of watching or not. 
it definitely is here. Therefore then, let us not sleep as the rest, but let us watch and be sober. So he's not saying, don't let's die like the rest of them. If it was up to us, most people probably wouldn't want to die. <laughs> you just say, how could he tell somebody, don't die? Well, that's how a lot of people are taking it, though, over here in verse 10. But here it definitely means sleep. That's a normal use for it. And there's one other thing that's a key. He contrasts that with the verb for watching. So you don't contrast. You can eat, be dead, or you can watch. (laughs) You can either say be dead or alive, or watch or asleep, but you don't say, you have your choice. You can be dead or you can watch. So this is a common way these are paired up. So in verse 6 he's saying, Therefore let us not sleep, but let's watch. Because those who are sleeping, they're sleeping at nighttime. That's when people sleep. And those people that are sleeping, they're going to be sleeping at night. And I think he means in that period of time when the day comes like a thief. Those who are drunk, they're drunk at nighttime, normally. I've been in situations where they let a ship come in once, and I, you know, I don't even know what shore patrol is. They put me in charge and sent me in. First, they let the whole crew get in there first in this town in France. And by the time I got in there, this verse didn't fit that crap. <laughs> so, you know... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in there behind everybody instead of going in and get set it up like you're supposed to. And so I still remember that. They have people on the garbage scows going out to the ship. And, uh, well, anyway, I heard about it, but it, I felt like it wasn't my fault because the, the guy in charge was talking to me and talking to me and talking to me. I need to get in there. But normally you get drunk at night. And that's what he's saying, that people get drunk at night. Once again, I think there, it's not just incidental that he says night or darkness, day or light, that one's a period of time. But we are of the day, let's be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And then here, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The key in this passage is this salvation is that he's talking about and what this hope of salvation is. Because you could easily take this just hope of eternal salvation. But I think we'll see, he's talking about salvation in this context, and it's salvation from what he's been talking about all along through this passage. Notice what, uh, continuing down in verse 9, because God did not appoint us under wrath, but unto the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I can look at that, and I had the question myself, not appoint us unto wrath, what's he talking about? Eternal wrath? And obtaining of salvation? That seems to fit. But if I look in here, we're talking about times and the seasons, and he's giving a reason why we should hope in this period of time, and then we're not done yet, And he says, Christ who died for us in order that whether we watch 
or sleep, whether we're watching or not, we're going to live together with him. So he's talking about living together with him. Resurrection, being raised together with him, whether we're watching or sleeping. He isn't saying whether you're watching or sleeping, you're going to be eternally saved or something like that. The wrath that he's talking about here is the wrath that's in this context, the day of the Lord that's coming. And so what he's saying is that God didn't appoint us under that wrath, but he appointed us to obtaining this salvation, which is explained this way, Christ died for us so that whether we're watching or not watching, we're still going to live together with him, which is the resurrection of the church or what we call the rapture. So in effect, he's saying, you're not appointed to the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. We can see what the day of the Lord is here because it's going to come on him suddenly. It's going to catch him by surprise. There's no way they're going to get out of it, but we're going to be delivered from it. Looks to me like that's what we call pre-tribulational rapture. At least it's pre-day of the Lord rapture. And that what we're looking for and watching for is not this, this day of the Lord suddenly coming in destruction, but what we're looking for is the Lord coming for us. And, but then he makes this statement, whether you're watching or not, you're still going to get raptured. There isn't any such thing as what we call a partial rapture, in other words. This, well, that's one of the theological positions, you know, that only the good guys are going to get raptured. Only the spiritual Christians are going to get raptured. That's one of the views. This verse alone will rule that out. If you understand this, but I can go, and I've had... Ever since I first got to seminary, it's 41 years ago, I've had this assignment. I don't give it as much as I used to. I just tell them what it is now. But everybody used to study it completely on their own first. You can look at the lexicons. You can look at the Bible dictionaries. You can look at the commentaries. And almost unanimously, they're all taking this, translate like this from five, in verse 10 of chapter 5. Who died for us, in order that whether we're living or dead, we're going to live together, saying the same thing as previously. And we're missing on a big point because this is using watching or sleeping. Those pairs go together in 10, just like they do over here in verse 6 and verse 7. And that word used is used of... <coughs> Sleeping versus watching, not being dead. Besides, you, like I said, you don't pair it off with watching if you're using the sense of being dead. The word that's up in 4.13, that's used consistently for Christians who have died, as well as other times. But generally uh, speaking, when you're talking about dead Christians, that's a word for them. They're sleeping. But this one's watching. You see that hope there? We should be watching, but even if we're not watching, we're going to go with him. And he's already said, whether we're dead or alive, we're going to go with him at the same time.
And that, that's a, to me, that's a real hope. You know why a lot of people translate that dead or alive? I'll just use F.F. F. Bruce for an example because he's pretty well known. Now, F.F. F. Bruce says he believes that, there's, is it going to, that there is going to be a rapture and he believes that we're all going with him which is what I think this is saying. But he doesn't believe Paul would say that. That's that's the only argument. Nobody has a factual argument. They just say, I don't think Paul would say something like that. Because they've short-circuited something there. And that is, he's just told them to watch or not, then he wouldn't turn around and say, it doesn't make any difference whether you watch or not. But it depends on how you're looking at it. I remember going down to visit my parents one time and they'd been in this uh, town not too long and they'd been attending this church and they said, this, this man's a pretty good preacher except he doesn't hold to eternal security. And so they t- were talking to him one time and that preacher said, well, I think the Bible probably does teach eternal security but I wouldn't dare preach that in my church. Everybody would run out and start sinning. And I, and I thought that's the same way it seems to me these commentators are. The unsaved ones, you know, they're, I don't know how they're looking at it, but somebody like Bruce is looking at it that everybody's going to run out and sin if you tell them they're going to go anyway, whether they're watching or not. To me, that's an encouragement to live properly. It seemed to me the assurance that I was saved gives me a rock to stand on to tell other people that I'm saved. And the assurance that I'm going, even if I'm not what I should be, that I'm going because of what Christ did, that gives me a foundation to stand on. I mean, I'm I'm not going to tell people about eternal security because I'm afraid some of them will go out and start sinning. You see what they're looking at? They're looking at you need threats to keep Christians in line and hope doesn't do it. And I think hope will keep you in line. I mean, if you're going to be kept in line. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody is kept in line by hope, but the, the, the blessed hope is, is an encouragement and it's also a reason for trying to live properly for the Lord. And so I don't have any problem with taking this. Besides, if I do have a problem, I still want to know what it says and take it that way. So I think he's saying, just to finish this one up, Christ died for us in order whether we're watching. First of all, he says, we should be watching. He encourages us to watch, and he's, he's not careless about that. He says, be watching. But whether we're watching or not, He died for us so that we'll live together with Him. That's the first thing. That nobody's going to be left behind. We're all going. We don't have to live up to a certain level in order to make it that we're all going to be with the Lord. And even if we're not watching, we're still going. And that's a motivating and encouraging hope right there. Since I forgot to look at my notes, I'll look and see if I left anything out. 
Oh, I, I wanted to point something out, too, to give the perspective and why I said it in the, from the first passage. 4.13 through 18 is basically saying what is oriented towards what's happening to dead Christians. See, this is talking about living ones. I mean, there are living ones involved in the other one, but it's basically, what about the dead ones? Well, they're not going to be left behind or even late comers or anything like that. But the living ones, thinking of times and seasons and what to look for, well, you just have to watch there isn't anything specific is how I would take it because this big event is coming unexpectedly and we're not going to be in that. So we're going to have to be delivered before that, but we're all going to be delivered. So that ought to be encouraging. Then I had point D, the changed state for all Christians requires a pre-tribulational rapture. That's, that's just a logical point before we look at another passage. And that is, here we come through, we come through history, through time like, like the church, and everybody in this age is saved the same way, Jew, Gentile, we're all members of the church. So when the Lord comes, all the believers are going to be taken out. Now let's move it this way. If this is right up against the millennium, and here's the church, so that we're going to get raptured after the tribulation, which would be in here according to some, and right before the millennium, then I'd take all the believers out. Then the Lord's going to rid of all the unbelievers. They're going down this way on my diagram. Uh, there's nobody left for the millennium. I mean, that's a little bit of a problem. Fellow named Moo said he has a trouble handling that one, but he said this seven-year gap is just too much. From uh, from I can't see a seven-year gap; just doesn't seem to be reasonable. So after he works his way through this, this is how I would describe it. He ends up with a thousand-year gap and puts it at the end of the millennium. I thought seems to me is more with a thousand-year gap than with a seven-year gap. I mean, how, how could you call a thousand years all one event? But seven years small could all take place relatively in the same place. We know that physical... I mean, people are going into the millennium physically. I'm just... I, did, I haven't gone into that, but that's not made up of glorified people, that's made up of, of starting out with all believers, but it's physical people living on earth. And you remember, they all start out that way, and then by the time the thousand years is up, they have enough people that aren't saved, apparently, that they're willing to all get together with the devil and decide they can overthrow the Lord. Uh, so it looks to me like they're not saved, <laughs> uh, no matter how you look at it. All right, on another event, I have 
God's plan for the church, and I have it under proper perspective, but it's basically going to be coming at this the same way as, as chapter 5, but it's Second Thessalonians chapter 2. forget who I was talking to, but somebody was telling me how impressed they were that Paul was only here for three weeks and taught them all this, because it seems like it takes longer than that sometimes to get these ideas across. Most of you have heard these one way or other before. It's not like these are all brand new. But in chapter 2, Paul says, we beseech you or we ask you, brothers, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. So that definitely includes the rapture. In order that you won't be quickly shaken from your understanding nor uh, distress either through a spirit or through a word or through a letter as if from us. And here's part of the issue as that the day of the Lord is present some try to translate that as imminent because they say that's what would cause a problem and they I don't think they understand what the problem is here but this word doesn't mean imminent this means present their problem is they think that the day of the Lord's here and that they're in it so that's what we need to keep in mind what are we doing in the day of the Lord? Sort of their, their problem. They're alarmed over this. Now, how did this? How did they fall for this and think that this was even a possibility? Well, there are a couple of things here that we can see. Back in the previous. Letter, 1 Thessalonians, for instance, in chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, writing to Thessalonians, For you have become imitators, brothers, of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus, because you suffer, you suffered the same things, even you from your own kinsmen, just as also they from the Jews. So he's talking about some sufferings and some persecution that they're going under or that they're experiencing I guess we could put it that way and then he says here in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 uh, referring uh, well back in I'll start in verse 4 so then we boast among you boast in you among the churches of God concerning your endurance and faith in all your persecutions and the trials which you're enduring, which is a demonstration of God's righteous judgment so that you be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. Seeing it's a righteous thing with God to pay back trouble to those who are troubling you and rest with us to those to you who are being troubled. He's going to pay back trouble to them and rest to the believers. 
in the revelation of our Lord Jesus from heaven with angels of power and so on. And so they're undergoing persecution, uh, some kinds of trials and distress here, and that apparently has made them ripe for somebody to tell them, we're in the day of the Lord. We're in a tribulation period. And they didn't just say, oh, that's a joke and forget it. They, they seem to, it seems to have taken hold of them somewhat so that Paul is concerned that they might be shaken up over this and shaken from their own understanding that they have. I've tried to point out there that what he said up in verse 1, they're alarmed about this. The issue that they're concerned about is regarding the rapture. Says, we beseech you, brothers, concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to Him. That that's what the He's asking them and pleading with them concerning the rapture, the coming of the Lord, and the rapture. And this being in the day of the Lord is what's causing the confusion, or when they think they are. So we we want to think and put those together. But as I put down there, this fact alone, the thinking that the day of the Lord is present causes them to be shaken up about the rapture. So the only way that would fit together, it seems to me, is it must contradict what Paul told them about the rapture. Why else would they be thinking because the tribulation periods here, why should I get disturbed about the rapture? Unless I'm supposed to be out of there uh, or something like that. Well, people said, oh, one man says, oh, they're excited because they're expecting a rapture. He's post-trib after the... But these words don't mean to be excited about in the, in the positive sense. These words talking about their turmoil and they're distressed and they're, they're shaken up over. So these are negative terms. They're not saying, oh goody, here we are halfway through the tribulation and three more years we're going to get raptured. Uh, what a blessing. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, somebody told us we're in the day of the Lord and uh, that doesn't make me very happy. <laughs> uh, not because of the troubles I'm going to get, but regarding the rapture. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to put that in perspective because everybody isn't going to buy that. Theologians, pretty hard to shake out of their position, especially using facts. You, know? <laughs> you, got, you have to have something else. Yeah. So he says, don't let anybody deceive you in any way because we're talking about this. This is a deception that the people have swallowed here. And then we have this statement, because unless the apostasy comes first, the man of sins revealed, the son of perdition, and so on. It never finishes that, so you have to supply it. And you can spend all kinds of time. Some of them are very difficult to pin down. For instance, is the apostasy 
and the revelation of man and sin talking about the same thing. Uh, one man that's well known, Robert Thomas, uh, out at Master Seminary, has he wrote a commentary on Revelation, but he's also arguing that the way the first is used here, it's of a process, and so he's saying that apostasy has to come first, and then after that, the man of sin is revealed, and so on. But I studied that the best I can tell. You can't pin that down, really. And the apostasy and the man of sin. And then there are a couple other things that I've thought about here is, when is his time of revelation? When he sits in the temple setting him forth as God, or when he first appears on the scene, uh, uses the same word for coming for this man as he does for the coming of Christ. Some of you may have heard parousia. Which one is he talking about for his revelation? So if I'm going to try and pin all that down, but then it dawned on me, I don't have to pin all that down. Uh, well, I can't. if I can't, I can't anyway. But uh, Paul's saying this. Let's handle this. The man of the apostasy and the man of sin haven't showed yet, and that takes care of the whole problem. Doesn't matter whether one comes first, they both come at the same time. You haven't seen them yet. That means you're not in the day of the Lord, and that takes care of the problem regarding the rapture. It's just I mean, why am I going to worry about all this other that you can you can only pin down to a certain point. Just look around. I mean, obviously, they can't be taking the day of the Lord as the second coming. Do you think anybody would figure the Lord must have come in His glory and I missed it? If it's Some people take the day of the Lord starting with the second coming. Well, you can't take it as some of those events in Revelation because how could you miss some of those things? Here's a third of the earth wiped out or something like that, but I forgot to read the papers this morning, so uh, I mean, I don't know anything about that. Or my TV's the battery ran down or something like that. You can't miss those kinds of things. And so that showed me something else. If they think because of the persecution they're undergoing that they might already be in the day of the Lord, or they think that they are, then the day of the Lord must start off to a slow start like most of us think. In other words, it comes in full force around the middle, the last three and a half years. But the first three and a half, which is technically the, the week of Daniel, uh, that's sort of a building up in intensity time, things getting lined up, man of sin uh, showing up, but he's, he's working his way up to the top and so on. So they must have thought that it was possible from what Paul had told him that you could be in the day of the Lord without having all these huge events going on. But Paul tells them, no, you can't be in the day of the Lord in the final analysis if you haven't seen the apostasy and the man of sin revealed. So that's, what does that mean? That means... Paul must have taught them that you're going to be raptured before all this. Notice what he says. Don't you remember, verse 5, that when I was still with you, 
I was telling you these things. And that, that word for telling means not just I told you once, but sort of consistently I was telling you these things. So I've already informed you. I've already told you this. All I have to do is just remind you about it and that's enough of an answer to take care of your problem regarding the rapture. Just to tell you, these things have to happen. They haven't. So no problem regarding the rapture. If they have happened and you're here, then we do have a problem regarding the rapture. It would be sort of the corollary to that. And then he goes on and points out some of those things. He said the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7, is already operating. Only there's one restraining. And so he, he just shows, I would put it this way, the devil's always working to bring this end time thing into play. He always has somebody as a candidate uh, that's ready to go, uh, that he can work through, but he's not going to be able to do it until the restrainer is taken out of the way. And I've just, I forget who, a couple people on the radio I heard going over the common view that this is the Roman government. But in order to get at the Roman government, they had to have a rebuilt Rome some way. And they had to have Rome surviving in, uh, in various countries' cultures and like maybe in the law books or something like that because Rome's done. This restrainer has to be able to hold back the devil. So that helps. He's still operating after 2,000 years, so he's nobody I know uh, on a human level anyway. Uh, that, that's going to narrow it down. And eventually, he's going to be taken out of the way. So I don't think even though a lot of uh, uh, intellectual people might think this is far-fetched. I, don't, I think the only person that qualifies for that is the Holy Spirit that's going to be around long enough and able to do the job and restrain. And then one of these days, he's going to be taken out. And of course, while he doesn't say that explicitly, I would think at least he's going to be taken out when the church is taken out. Well, he says right now that man's uh, coming in all deceit of righteous, unrighteousness to those who are perishing because they didn't receive the love of the truth. Truth, Because of this, God will send them a working of error so they believe a lie and so on. What has he shown them here? That God staying on schedule. There's a restrainer. He isn't going to be hurried. Satan isn't going to be able to push him into doing these things ahead of time or out of line that the schedule's going to be kept, the events are going to stay in the order in which I told you, and therefore don't get shaken up because that included that we're going to be raptured before all this comes to play. And uh, once again, that seems to fit with the pre-tribulational rapture. We might just uh, take a moment. I said if I have a few minutes, 
actually covered it to some extent. There were a couple of passages, but 2 Corinthians 5. Paul starts off in verse 1, for we know that the earthly house of our uh, tabernacle, that if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, handmade house in the heavens, for we are in this one, this habitation, are groaning, waiting for, desiring to be clothed upon, which are one from heaven, and he, then he goes on, even indeed also being stripped off, like stripping off clothing, we shall not be found naked. I think what he's saying there is we just as soon not have our body stripped off like we're going to die and be naked, that is just a spirit. For those who, verse 4, for those who are in this tent grown being burdened, because it's not that we desire to be stripped off, but to be clothed upon. So what he's saying is, I'm, I'm not really longing to have this body stripped off and then just in my spirit for some years, although he indicates that's a possibility. What I'd prefer is to put on my new house put on my glorified body rather than strip this one off and then wait it around. So I take that to mean he's just saying uh, I'd rather I'm looking for the Lord, being with the Lord is better than being here but I, I'd rather be raptured uh, than die. In other words, I'm not just looking forward to dying. I'm looking forward to being with the Lord. And I think that's, that's good. It's sometimes Hard for us to keep in mind. I don't hear as much about this topic as I did when I was first saved. I used to... One of the big things that got me interested in Bible study when I was first saved was prophecy. Because that's where you're looking into these details, trying to put it together. Uh, It's interesting, uh, especially when you're first starting out. I've never even heard this. I mean, I've heard you're supposed to be good before. Uh, and that kind of thing, but I've never heard any of these things. And so, uh, at least with me, and I've talked to some others, it gets your interest and you start uh, looking for details. That helps you in your Bible study overall, but it it makes you look for the coming of the Lord. And I realize sometimes I've dropped off from that. I was telling somebody when I was still in the Marine Corps and I was thinking about whether to go to seminary or not, I went over to a prophetical conference at Cherrydale Baptist down in the area where we live and uh, Dwight Pentecost was there. And by the time he finished laying everything out, I thought, why am I thinking about going to seminary? That's a four-year thing. We don't have four years. And when the Lord comes back and spies finds me sitting there in a class, he's going to say, what are you doing sitting here when there are things to be done? And, and so, I, you know, I, I think I held up about a year for that and finally figured, 
well, if the Lord wants me in seminary, I guess I better go. And uh, as it turned out, I did have time to finish seminary, and I've <laughs> been out since then. But, but it was that, that sense of imminency and urgency that was preached, so you felt like uh, we don't have much time. We need to, to get this job done. It turned out I had no idea about teaching. Evangelism turned out wasn't my thing. I mean, until I became a teacher, I never really thought about it. It was more like at the last minute, uh, we fit where the Lord wants us, but uh, it gives you a sense of urgency if you realize the Lord can come at any time and whatever we've got to do. We have to do it anyway. You know, eventually you get to the point in life where you realize if I'm going to do anything, I better get with it. Uh, just happens to all of us, but... We're talking about as the whole church. And even when you're young, we just don't know how much time we've got. And so we look forward to the coming of the Lord. And I put down here sort of in a closing, I think one of the big things there and under God's plan, what I was going to go into uh, is... Uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29, I'll just, you, you might want to take a look at that, but I'm not going to spend much time on that, but it says, and that's whole uh, context is in God's plan for the individual. Here, I'll start reading in verse 26 in Romans 8. And likewise also the Spirit helps together with our weakness because what we should pray for, just as we should, we don't know. But the Spirit itself intercedes with inaudible groanings. And the one who examines the heart knows what's the thinking of the Spirit because he intercedes according, in behalf of the saints according to God. Now, we know that to those who love God, that's every Christian, not just super Christians, because he's going to say that is to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. How do we know that? That is to those who are called according to his purpose. See, that's, that's it, his purpose. Because whom he foreknew, which I would take to mean that he knew beforehand who would believe, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's that? To be glorified. That's what he's talking about. The eschatological or the prophetical end of that. So that's his purpose. So that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now he goes back, not clear back to the beginning, but picks up the second step and to show God carries it out. And he says, those whom he foreknew which were the ones he, I mean, those whom he predestined, those, he's already said, the ones he foreknew, these also he called, those whom he called, these he justified, those whom he justified, these also he glorified. So there's nobody dropped out. God does what's necessary to accomplish his purpose for the individual, and that purpose is that everybody that I knew was going to believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to carry out what's necessary to get them to the other end, which is glorified and resurrected body. That's God's purpose for us as individuals. 
And in that same chapter, we have in verse 8, where Paul has just finished saying, if you spirit's in you, if you are a Christian, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you don't belong to Him. That's pretty cut and dry. And he says in verse 11, if the Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make alive your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. That's just a guarantee. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, He's the guarantee you're going to get the rest of it. And so it's certain. That's what's going to happen. So God has a plan for us. He's given us that guarantee. We've already seen these other passages. We're going to be with the Lord when He comes. And He even says in Romans 5 that if Christ died for us when we're still sinners, and you know we tell people, doesn't matter how much of a bum you are, you can get saved by believing in Christ. Then what some people say is now that you belong to Him, though you're in your precarious position, because if you do something wrong, you're going to lose it. But it's not. It's just the opposite. Now that we've been justified much more, we're going to be saved, and he means in the final sense, from the wrath through him. So we're, we're in a much better position. If he died for us when we were enemies, as it says, we're in a much better place now that we belong to him and more certain. So I'm thankful that God didn't set up a plan that I might have thought up, but he set up one that I haven't found any flaws in yet, and it looks pretty good for us. And I've said in more than one time, it's better than any TV program or science fiction uh, thing I've seen or any book uh, telling all the great things that can happen. That's what we're looking forward to.